Welcome to the family with Hackmaster Ralph Toy Basham, MD. Alex Bernard Rasmussen. And Andy Bernard. We'll be right back, kick things off with the family. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. So what's the latest? The well, latest is we're representing people who are injured through no fault of their own. Uh, people come to us, we talk to them about what their rights are. We talk to them about things that, you know, adjusters would call them up and ask them about. And we represent people in order to get them justice for the injured. And have been for a long time. Very, very successful, no question. I, I, you know, I do meet a lot of your clients. They come up to me on the street and whatever, and they talk about this, that, or the other thing. And they both say... Why do you guys hang out with Doug Sprinthal? <laughs> and I just had no answer for <laughs> He just looks away, you big baby. In any case, that's the whole deal. So people, they got any problem whatsoever, personal injury or other legal problems, whatever, they just reach out to Brad, Sean, Bryant. Yeah, Joe and I have both been president of the trial lawyers for the state. So we talk to people about all sorts of issues. The consultation is always free, and that's what we do. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean, Bryant. Walls Automotive Group, Walls.com, and Doug Sprinthal. Nissan news. This is exciting, and I'm glad Andy's here. We just got our first shipments at Coon Rapids Nissan and Burnsville Nissan of the all-new 2021 Nissan Rogue. Dude, you need to trade. This is a brand-new vehicle. It's got bird's-eye parking. So when you're backing up, you hit the screen, and it's like a spy satellite above oh. the vehicle. It is, And it's got ProPilot. It is cool. Trade your car in. Well, Melissa said she did like this one better than the last one, so maybe she'll like the next one better than this one. All right. Be like Andy and Melissa and check out the Nissan Rogue. It's been a dream of mine to be like Andy ever since he was born. <laughs> so, yeah, check out these vehicles at Walzer Nissan in Burnsville and in Coon Rapids, House of J-Lo and the House of Dan Resch. Tell them Andy sent you. Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. All right, I got to run this past Andy because we got to we're going to test Andy out. Test him wait, out. Wait a minute, I just yeah. saw something on here. There's a thing: new low fees and better exchange rates to Mexico. Zoom, spelled X O O M. Yeah, that's been a thing for a while. What is it? So everything is Zoom now. Why is everything Zoom? Uh, the X one actually came first, I think. Yeah, yeah I think it did, yeah. It's much older. It's 2001. 2000, and it's is it pronounced Zoom? Uh, I believe it is. I think it probably is, yeah. All right, we're going to test Andy right here. Okay. Are you working correctly? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How a classic Simpsons episode came to be. Okay, the monorail show had two coups by a young Conan O'Brien. Do you know the episode we're talking about? I do. You do? Yep. Okay, so how did it come to be then? Do you know? Is there a chance the trek could bend? Not on your life, my Hebrew friend. (laughs) Or Hindu friend. Hebrew. Hebrew? Basically the the same religion, right? And they don't have Hindu anymore. Yeah, no, they got rid of him or changed him or something. They got rid of Hinduism? Yep, they got rid of the guy. Has been abolished. What was the guy's name on there again? Apu. Apu is gone. Why did they get rid of Apu? Because. Because you know. he was voiced by a honky? Yeah. So you can't do impressions West of voices Coast anymore. Guilt. They should have oh, just God, hired... Just... They could have kept a poo and hired a... <clears throat> so why didn't uh, they? That would have probably been even worse, honestly. <laughs> you could have hired somebody from tech support with a thick accent. You could have. Exactly. 
See, there you go. Yeah, no, that would have just been worse. Replacing mm. a voice actor for 30-some-odd years with another one. That's, that's true. People would just be like, this isn't right. Abu's gone, but now we have mm-hmm. Abu. Here's yeah. what I don't understand. <laughs> so I never was offended when Richard Pryor or Eddie Murphy or those people did impressions of white people accents. because you're not a West Coast phony. Well, that's true. Dave Chappelle well, did it, too. Dave Chappelle yeah, did it, too, true. exactly. Who cares? Why do you care well, about that? I think that? it's because it's like a mocking of a general. Like, you know, he worked at a Quickie Mart and had 30,000 children. Like, his whole character was a mocking of an entire culture. Every it's character is a mocking, though. Exactly. Yeah, but I mean... Chief Wiggum is a mockery of cops. Yes. Homer Simpson is a mockery of middle-class white but guys. If they, but if it would have been uh, <clears throat> an Eastern Indian guy that played him i think it would have been fine but since it was a white guy why because it's a white even more white face to do the bit i know well it's just we're not it's a different it's 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 racist how is it racist because it's racist no it's not white people don't fight back so yeah comedy's not racist you know comedy's comedy comedy's not racist exactly well yeah but you're not an eastern indian man so are you not? I your, thought you were. Your oh, perspective yeah. here I, doesn't really. Tell me, tell me you're very much welcome. Thank you. Okay. See. Well, I just told them today because it's because they're they're talking about in, reinstituting that uh, what's that thing that Biden wants to put back in that cultural oh critical race theory. critical race theory. Yeah. They're going to put that. He he wants to support that again. Of course he does. And that's of course white people are evil and yes, horrible and racist. That's what that is. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I was I was I was thinking about the genocide on the Native Americans, and I was wondering where yeah. are all the Native Americans in Europe? Oh, there were people there before the white guy got there. That's very true. Yeah, in Europe they were called Neanderthals, Ooh. and they were wiped out. Uh oh, they so, were wiped so, out. So, Honkies so, do that too. So we don't have to worry about that. We don't. There's no because they're not there to talk about. So nope. suppose you can suppose you can prove that you have Neanderthal genetics. Can we get Ooh. reparations for Actually, that? Actually, most white and Asian people do. Don't Asians, tell me that there. Don't and tell whites me are the most Neanderthal uh, admixed races. There were mixed subspecies couples. Yes, oh, no. oh, her dad oh, didn't I'm like inc- it. I'm incensed. Mm-hmm. I just love how they. Well, what got me going today on that deal is this Katy Perry thing. Did you see what they're doing to that poor woman? No. Oh my God! She just said to her friends, "This is all Katy Perry did." I don't know Katy Perry. I never met her. But she's a young woman, and all she said on Twitter was, to all my family members and friends that voted for Donald Trump, I hope you have a better day, and I hope things go Uh better for you. can't do that. Uh, There are people wishing she would die for saying that. I hope you die for saying that. It's like, what on... That's how 50% of the country believes. Would you look it up and see some of the comments on her Twitter page, Andy? Oh, well... Well, it's just... It's Mm. insane. You can't even say, I hope my family and friends feel much better. They didn't win, but it's okay. Don't worry about it. We'll be fine. Yeah, I hope you... Let's come together. Let's try to... We're trying to come together. You must die. You must die for wishing (laughs) that. For wanting... Everyone to be happy. So, so, so no, I say now, now. What she really said was, "I hope you." And, and to a certain extent, she's saying between the lines is that maybe you will come toward the middle a little exactly. bit. Exactly. Maybe you will understand some of the things that has that has led to this uh, election, these election results. So, I, I don't. Oh man, these people are absolute idiots. They've lost their well. Seventy percent of people are complete idiots. I, I complete sw- and utter idiots. I swear, the people that are on uh, social media. So many of them are have, have the 
intellectual capacity of like a third grader. Actually, I said complete and utter idiots would be a stupid thing to say. But anyway, <laughs> moving forward, uh, yeah, so I just, uh, what I said about that today when we read that story on the air, I said, so here's the deal. Critical race theory, you go for the white people suck, white people are evil, white people are racist and horrible. You can do that all you want. I just wouldn't do that around my family. Or uh, to quote Christopher Walken, I'll do some damage you won't walk away from. I just, I don't care. Somebody's going to shout at me for being white and horrible. Cool. Thanks. It's the most idiotic thing on earth. That all white people are the same. Whatever. I'm not going to let it. You can't. Choose what happens to you. You can only choose how you react. Yeah, I'd like to see you if somebody called Fawny a racist, how you'd react. I'd walk away. Uh huh. Sure, you would. Child, bye. And and what and what and so uh, so they can say whatever they want, according to this. But in the spirit of what that that theory says, then they can do whatever they want to. What if they start? Uh, acting out and yeah. starting, uh, which uh, they will, in, in, inducing uh, harm in some way. They yeah. throw something at you. They hit you, knife you, shoot you. You, you mean the dozens of people that Black Lives Matter and Antifa have killed in the past six months? Exactly, yeah. dozens upon it's dozens. It's going to get worse. I'm t- we're not going to be living in this country in five years. I don't think. You're probably right. Oh so what'd you find on Katy Perry? I don't want to read Twitter. Yeah. What do you mean you don't want to read Twitter? He doesn't want well, to hear people threatening a woman's life. Might as well put a straw into a septic tank and so <laughs> Well, that's true. Here, let me but get just, the opening of the septic yeah, tank. Like I said, I don't know Katy septic Perry. Septic tank might have some nutritional value, though. So the only song, leg up. only song by Katy Perry I know is that fireworks song. Mm-hmm. I don't. She is not a fan. I don't know her. But she's a young woman who tried to do something nice and is getting roasted for doing it yep. by the every moron in the world. That's what I'm saying. America That's, is there's a civil war coming. There's just there is. There's You're no avoiding right. it at this point. Isn't she married to Orlando Bloom? Or they're having a kid or something? Something like that, I think. Yeah, it's true. So I don't know. It's just, like I said, it's just a situation where uh, you you guys, I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. You just can't be happy. You want to be miserable. You want to be a victim. You well, want to feel sorry for yourself. That's the whole thing. It's like if somebody's going to call me a horrid racist, yeah, that's what they're going to do. Me being like... Well, but if it's your no, I'm governor not, or your mayor well, doing yeah. it, you know. No, I'm just talking about random people in the street. Well, well but it's not like just random people in the street. It's billionaire CEOs it is, yeah. and well, he's Hollywood white. actors. He can't say all white people are terrible because he's white. Who? Joe Biden. Oh, it doesn't matter. Yes, it does. I don't know. All I'm saying is they can, if they can say it to you then, but don't do it around me. That's all I'm saying. No, I don't have anger issues. I'm talking about they can't do it around me. They can oh. do it to you, fine, it's up to you. You, you, you have your own life, just don't do it around me. Oh my God, there's so much crap What are you everywhere. doing over there? It's, Jesus, what are you, was, three? This was tied around it's, this. It's, it's, you sound like a bear going there's through. There's a random water <laughs> bottle, and a ra- this has been here forever, mom's Halloween headband. Yeah, I think those are mostly moms. This is like, I think all that stuff is moms. There's so much it? crap everywhere. <laughs> you know, most That's of the stuff on this moms. table, except for anything attached to a cork, can be thrown away. Yeah. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah. It's absolutely true. Yeah. Okay. Can I change the subject? No, because we got to go to break in 45 seconds. Okay, well, after break. No, we because have we have a guest. But after that, At you can do it. At some point. At some point, You will exactly. have the floor. I will have the floor. Yes, Madam. at some point, you will have the floor, but Eventually, we have a guest coming up. one day. And I, yeah, when Kristen Bird comes on, you guys schmooze all the time. So well, no, I have a go. question that's it's like COVID 
question, and since Ralph the doctor is in, <laughs> we might as well. Job of the hut. That was a job. Job of the. I actually know now for the first time in the eight months that I've known about COVID, I know two people who have it. The last like month, I've known yeah, yeah four people yeah, all of a sudden. Hey, my doc had it. Ooh. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Oh, boy. All right, we'll be back. Guests coming up with the family. Tom Bernard, and here with me is the CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Michael, these are tough times for a lot of businesses. I know that North American Banking Company has been working hard to help several different small and large business owners throughout the state. Tommy, our lenders are working with customers not only on recovery, but planning for the future. To date, we have helped over 365 businesses in the state by lending more than $70 million through the SBA's Paycheck Protection Program. I know these programs can be challenging for a lot of businesses to navigate. Right. With many revisions to the Paycheck Protection Plan and similar programs, keeping up with them hasn't been a two-foot putt for many business owners. At North American Banking Company, our team of expert lenders are working with our customers every day to help them understand and navigate these complex programs, simplifying them so our customers can focus on what they do best running their businesses. Simple. I like it. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, an equal housing lender. By now you've all heard me talk about MyPillow and how it's literally changed my life. My friend Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow, fit me for my very own MyPillow, and I haven't stopped raving about them since. They won't go flat. You can wash and dry them as many times as you want, and they maintain their shape. Made in the USA. If you don't have a MyPillow or know someone who doesn't, now is the time. Because for a limited time, Mike is offering his premium MyPillows, yes, the one that started it all, for his lowest price ever. You can get a queen-size premium MyPillow for $29.98, regularly $69.98. That's a $40 savings. Kings are only $5 more, by the way. Folks, now is the time to buy. Not only are you getting the lowest price ever, but they are the best Christmas gifts ever. $29.98 for a queen-size premium MyPillow. Buy now, and Mike will extend his 60-day money-back guarantee to March 1st, 2021. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square and use promo code TOM. There you'll find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, and MyPillow towel sets. Or call 800-516-5146 and use promo code TOM. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Is Michael ready to go? Yeah. Michael Hilsick, how are you doing, Michael? I'm good, thanks. And yourself? Marvelous. You know, I just read the uh, name, the title of your book, Iron Empires, Robber Barons, Railroads, and the Making of Modern America. If you leave out the railroads, we got new robber barons and a new modern America. That's right. Well, you know, as I've also <laughs> said, and this is a quote that's often attributed to Mark Twain, though it may be apocryphal, that history doesn't always repeat itself, but it often rhymes. <laughs> I, ooh, I love Whoa. that. Michael. I think that's what we've got now. I've, yep. I keep referring to the Gilded Age that I wrote about in this book as the first Gilded Age because uh, we've been back in a second one, at least the second one, for the last couple of decades, I'd say. Yeah, we absolutely have. It's just a, It is amazing to me that you have people who want a combination of massive corporations and socialism. What? Mm. How does that go together? That's a good question. Well, I don't really understand. But that's what that's really a success, that really is a successful country because Sweden has socialism, but they have oil. Mm. 
Yeah, but where did they get the money to get the oil? Yeah. From America. Fair, fair, yeah. Okay, well, they always no, okay. leave that part out. Michael, sorry for changing the subject, but I just saw the words, words robber barons, and I was like, oh, God, we're going through it again, Michael. We're going through it again. That's, that's correct. Um, and, you know, the, uh, the, the arc of history that we saw during, uh, during the first Gilded Age in which uh, these uh, ty- railroad tycoons were at first widely admired and eventually ended up uh, being investigated by Congress is something that we've seen more recently when we have these technology tycoons, Mark Zuckerberg, and the Jeff Bezos of the world, mm-hmm. who were widely admired at, at first when they were building their companies, and more recently have been under investigation by Congress. Uh, these things, as, as, as we said, they, they go in cycles. In 1869, when the final spike was driven in the Transcontinental Railroad, few were prepared for its seismic aftershocks. Once a hodgepodge of short, squabbling lines, America's railways soon exploded into a titanic industry helmed by a pageant of speculators, crooks. Ooh, I like it. Speculators, crooks, and visionaries. So crooks came between speculators and visionaries, Michael. I love it. Right. Well, one thing you have to keep in mind is that in that era, when uh, the, the, way, the, the definition of the term visionary wasn't something that was widely admired. Visionary was defined as someone who was subject to hallucinations. <laughs> well, <there laughs> so, so things change. Uh, the big things don't change so much, but the details do. God, it's so amazing because those names have carried on forever. Vanderbilt and Gould and Morgan and Harriman and those names that still live on to this day, don't they? Uh, that's right. And, and let's not overlook uh, the, the, the figure of this era who I think is most important to uh, to you and, and your listeners in the Twin Cities, and that's J.J. Hill. Oh, yeah. Uh, the creator of uh, the Great Northern and, and eventually the proprietor of the Great Northern and the Northern Pacific, who's a, a very important figure, and I think uh, often overlooked in the, in the larger story, but I hope I restored him to his place in this chronicle. I hope so. Um, Michael, have you ever driven down the Keys to Key West, taking that drive all the way down? I have done that, yes. Because seeing what uh, Flagler did, how how much did that cost him to build that railroad all the way down to Key West from Miami? My God. Well, it would have been billions of dollars today. It's uh, it's hard to go back and, and look, but uh, but yeah, Flagler, uh, his railroad isn't really central to my book, but it is the sort of uh, of enterprise that that really we did see in that era and mm-hmm. the decades. That followed it the first few decades of the 20th century. It took a lot of money, it took a lot of gall, uh, and it took uh, a certain amount of chicanery to achieve what uh, what these tycoons did. It's so amazing to me that, that cities like Chicago, obviously New York, um, many other cities in the East Coast, obviously going up and down the uh, going up and down the uh, East Coast. That they, they use them for travel here in, in Minneapolis-St. Paul. Have you ever spent any time here in Minneapolis-St. Paul, Michael? Yeah, a little bit, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we, we've decided to go with light rail. But the one thing that we left out of uh, light rail that we shouldn't have left out of light rail was the fact that it is the most dangerous place to be in the, in the state of Minnesota. Very dangerous to ride the light rail in this state. Uh, I did not know that. Yeah, it's just terrible. The violence on our light rail is unbelievable. Uh, and to me, Michael, looking back at what they did with all these guys like Vanderbilt and J.J. Hill and Flagler and Gould and Morgan and all these other people, 
I love, if I could take a train every year to go on vacation from Minneapolis-St. Paul to Miami, I'd ride a train the whole time because it's a great way to travel. What happened to, to rail travel, Michael? Well, that's, uh, that's a very good question, and it's, it's a question that sort of speaks to the long arc of history. Uh, for one thing, rail travel uh, declined because other forms of travel were more immediately convenient, certainly in the post-World War II years. Uh, the, the automobile uh, took over uh, in terms of freight. Um, once uh, America started building out its uh, interstate highways, uh, truck uh, transport became more important than rail for, uh, uh, for transporting goods. Uh, so, uh, you know, there was this long uh, economic slide that the railroads suffered from, and part of that was that the railroads didn't do enough uh, work in terms of maintaining their own infrastructure. Right, right. So rail travel and rail shipping became less and less reliable. Uh, people understood that. Um, you know, if, uh, a few years ago, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, I decided uh, to take my family on a rail trip from Florida, where, uh, where my kids' grandparents lived, up to Washington, uh, where we were going to do some sightseeing. Mm-hmm. So we took a sleeper car, and, uh, you know, it was a two-day trip, and it was still 12 hours late. So um, <laughs> That's hard uh, to do. So except in, in certain parts of the country, particularly the, the Boston, New York, maybe Boston, New York, Washington um, axis, uh, rail travel, uh, it, it should be the most civilized way of traveling, and it is if it works well, but it, it just uh, is not working well in the United States, except in these small sections. You know, rail uh, travel, uh, particularly out east, particularly in the state of Florida, as a matter of fact, because Richard Branson has decided to build the Bright Line, and the Bright Line now goes from Miami all the way up to uh, to West Palm Beach, and then it's going to head on up to, uh, I guess, he's, he's taking it, I think it's being built right now up to Orlando. Uh, why do you think that, it, why do you think that is that, that a guy like Richard Branson, who had and Virgin Airlines went under, somebody told me. Is that true? Well, yeah, it, it hasn't quite gone under, but it's under a great deal of stress because of the coronavirus. Right. So so do you think that's so, – see, for me, i got to be honest with you, because we spend some time down in West Palm Beach. If I can, in the next couple of years, fly from Minneapolis to Orlando and then take the train down to West Palm Beach for another hour and a half, two hours, something like that, I'd do that every time rather than change planes in Atlanta. I think it's a very smart thing that he's doing. Right. Well, uh, we don't know how successful he's going to be at actually doing it, but I think we want to take a look at the difference and what it took to build a railroad during the Gilded Age, and that's right. the, the, the subject of my book, and what it takes to do it now. Um, in those days, in, in the years following the Golden Spike in 1869, through maybe the first decade or two of the 20th century, you were building railroads largely across unpopulated territory. Mm-hmm. And in fact, one of the goals of the railroad builders was, was to build and then to attract settlers to the regions that they were crossing so that they would have goods to, uh, to transport. They would have farm produce. They would have manufactured goods. So, so part of the, the underlying idea of the development of the railroads and the development of the country was that the railroads would develop the country. And this was something that 
that J.J. Hill felt very, very strongly. And when he retired, he gave a speech in which he said, look, you know, we built the Great Northern, we built the Northern Pacific, and we could have charged rates that would be more than the market would bear, but that would undermine our goal, which was to develop this region, develop Minnesota, to, 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 to bring that development all the way west of the Pacific Northwest. So we didn't charge as much as we could. We charged enough to keep our enterprises going and to build the communities that they were, that they were crossing. So that was, uh, and I think Hill in many ways represents uh, the, the best of the uh, uh, of the robber baron mentality. In fact, mm-hmm. I'm not sure you would even qualify him as a robber baron because he did have this community spirit. Well, today when you are building railroads, you are building them through developed uh, territory, right. developed regions, and you have to condemn property. You have to run them through communities. It's much much harder, and this is something that that where I live in California has been a real obstacle to something we need, which is a high-speed rail between Los Angeles and San Francisco. Well, to build that, you have to basically bisect communities that have reasonable objections to to having that done. In the old days, the railroads came first and then development followed. Today, we have development, and we are trying to throw railroads through that development for good reasons, but it's much more difficult. It's just amazing. Michael, do you have a couple more minutes? I need to take a quick two-minute break. Can you stay with us for a while longer? Oh, oh, happy to stay with you, sure. Wonderful. We'll be right back more with Michael Hiltzik, ladies and gentlemen. Iron Empires, Robert Barron's Railroads, and the making of modern America. Right back. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more. And please tell them that Tom sent you. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. Northern Metal Fab right off the interstate in Baldwin, Wisconsin is a custom job shop specializing in large-scale projects. Northern Metal Fab is now hiring for all positions, including welders, painters, and inspectors, to provide quality craftsmanship to their customers. Northern Metal Fab is growing, and their growth is your opportunity. Northern Metal Fab offers competitive pay, excellent benefits, and more. Apply online today at nmfinc.com. That's nmfinc.com. Northern Metal Fab is the equal opportunity employer. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Michael Hiltzegar is a very special guest. Iron Empire's Robert Barron's Railroads and Making of Modern America. Michael, I just uh, very quickly want to want to mention that I grad I was supposed to graduate high school exactly a hundred years after the uh, final spike was driven. Uh, I would have graduated high school in 1969. So to tell you um, my age. And the reason I even bring that up is because uh, growing up, being born in Minnesota and growing up here, uh, when I was a little boy, Minneapolis and St. Paul, the state of Minnesota was still referred to as the Great Northwest, which was pretty amazing. But you look at the national map at night now when the lights are all on, and if you look at the United States from one of the satellites, Hardly anybody other than California lives uh, lives west of the Mississippi. It's amazing. Uh, that's right. Well you, well, you know, if you go back even further than 1969, and by the way, 
That's the year I graduated high school. Oh, we're buddies, Michael. Um, there was a period in which um, Minnesota, Iowa, uh, basically the Mississippi River was considered the West. Yep, absolutely. Um, so things have changed. Manifest Destiny took over. The United States basically started to fill in that, that blank between the Mississippi and, and California. And one of the ways it did so was by building transcontinental railroads. And 1869 was just the completion of the first of very, of very many inter, inter, um, transcontinental railroads, including uh, the Great Northern and Northern Pacific. That mm-hmm. was J.J. Hill's uh, life, lifelong dream. It was a wonderful thing to grow up here for me because... As a little, little boy, we lived right, you know, I, I guess at times I lived within a few blocks of the Mississippi River. But being a little boy and observing all the, the river traffic and then looking at it, I cannot tell you how many railroad lines run through Minneapolis-St. Paul. I, it's, got a, it's amazing the gigantic railroad yards that used to be in this town, yeah. and a lot of them still are. But when I was a little boy, there were rails everywhere. It was amazing, Michael. That's right. Well, the Twin Cities, I think, were a major hub. Chicago, uh, uh, the, the Twin Cities were probably the, the, the most important hub next to Chicago. Um, and that was because um, uh, industry saw this as, uh, as the way to build the country. They did indeed. And, and, and this was, basically, this was the work that made the railroads America's first big business and really did change the country in dramatic ways that were not fully foreseen in the 1860s, but were, were clear to uh, Americans by the 1870s and 1880s. The amazing things that America can do with shipping, mm-hmm. um, it, it is unbelievable. And I'm, I'm certain it's, I don't know if it's like that the rest of the world. There are places just like it, I'm sure. But uh, how did people like, uh, you know, Vanderbilt and Morgan and and J.J. Hill uh, now, obviously, there was a way to make money here. What did they see? What was the initial thing they saw that went, hey, this is going to be something really big? Well, for the first generation of robber barons, and that includes, to some extent, uh, Vanderbilt, but also Jay Gould and right. his, his colorful partner, Jim Fisk. Uh, there's a character in my book named Daniel Drew, who was a real scoundrel. Um, they all saw actually the, the, the most immediate profits from railroad building to be in trading railroad securities. Uh-huh. Uh, that was more important to them and, and lined their pockets much more than actually building railroads. If you could sell railroad stocks and bonds and then trade them and manipulate them, as, as they tended to do, you could make a lot of money and you didn't really have the burdens of actually having to lay rail and buy rolling stock and, and, and do all those things that were necessary. But then, uh, you know, as that generation passed and you got the new generation, which included J.P. Morgan and E.H. Harriman, Edward H. Harriman, the other major uh, figure in my book, they saw uh, wealth to co- coming to them by actually building railroads that were efficient and worked so that you could attract passengers and you could attract freight and you could attract uh, shippers of all sorts. And, uh, and uh, at a point of, in time when the railroads were really the best way to get goods to market and to buy goods from the markets and bring them home, uh, they, they were essentially an effective monopoly. So they made uh, a, a tremendous amount of money. And the railroad 
networks kept getting built up uh, more and more in the United States right until about 1920 when that phase began to ebb. Michael, since there was no, no income tax back then in 1869, was there any kind of government funding or direction? Or I mean, there had to be some direction from the government, but where did the funding come from? Well, the, the federal government had lots of ways to raise revenue, including tariffs and including uh, forms of taxation right. that were not the income tax. And the federal government did finance most of these railroads, the first transcontinental railroad, that's the Union Pacific and Central Pacific. That was almost entirely government-funded at first, although the, the builders of those railroads found plenty of ways to skim off money for themselves. No. The first Transcontinental Railroad, that was a government-funded project. The other Transcontinental Railroads were also largely funded by government. And what government would do is it would basically guarantee the railroad's bonds and give the railroads that were building land on either side of their right-of-way that the railroads could then develop for their own profit. Uh, one railroad builder who decided that he was not going to do that and he was going to raise money all by himself for his own purposes was Hill, uh, who's, who really built the first transcon—sorry, con- the trans- first transcontinental railroad. That was not government finance. Okay, so we used government money to build them. They skimmed the money off there, and then they turn around and hire mostly Chinese labor. Correct. Mm-hmm. How were they able oh, to use... The Central Pacific, which was the western yeah. arm of the first transcontinental railroad, mm-hmm. that was built heavily with Chinese labor, right. and that was because the, the builders th- uh, saw the Chinese laborers as more reliable and I think more compliant than the other immigrants who were, uh, who were around coming out to build, and they were Central Europeans. Um, Northern Europeans. Uh, one of the reasons that there's so many Scandinavian communities in the upper north, uh, the upper north, is because they came out to build the railroads and they came out to settle the land that the railroads made impossible. Uh, so, so the country developed that way. But yeah, uh, uh, Chinese laborers, they were compliant, they were efficient, they were effective. And in California particularly, they were uh, very much the, uh, the major part of the workforce. And I understand they work cheaper. Uh, well, yes, that was certainly part of it, too. Yes, um, it was. And always railroad, is. Like, the railroad familiar. tycoons were the same <laughs> as tycoons throughout the ages right. and everywhere, which is that they wanted to pay less for more work. It amazes me that the federal government in the United States, well, all governments around the world, will give you the money, but you don't have to hire our people to build your railroad. You could bring in immigrants to pay them less. I've never understood how that ever happened. Well, um, you know, even a little bit of money can look like a lot if you've got none. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. But, I mean, I just talk about using the... Well, again, there were no there there was no federal federal income tax at that time, so they couldn't the people couldn't really complain because it wasn't their money. Well, I mean, it was because of tariffs and things, but not directly out of their pocket, I guess. Right. Uh, it's a fascinating story, Michael. And again, it's a thrill to talk to you because it brought back all these memories of when Minneapolis-St. Paul was indeed the Great Northwest. It was this shipping hub, of, whether it be on the river or the railroad yards or whatever. I mean, I spent. Most of my time between 5 and 15 years old hanging around the railroad yards in downtown Minneapolis. We just, that's what we did. <laughs> well, some of us, uh, uh, you know, around that area, we spent a lot of our, our time hanging around airports 
Which is another part of the story. Uh, yeah. um, you know, air travel uh, began to take off. It began. It became uh, relatively uh, cheap, uh, certainly fast, um, and um, and it became really a, a very effective competitor to to the railroads. And that's part of the story of the decline of the railroads throughout most of the twentieth century. I hope everybody reads your book, Michael, because they're going to learn a lot. It is one of the great American stories. I, I don't think there's any question about that, right? Uh, it is the great American story. As I said, yep. the railroads were America's first big business, and we still see, for all that they've declined, we still see their impact on, on the development of the U.S. and, and on modern America uh, everywhere we look. Uh, in closing, let me just say that every day at noon I would come home from Catholic school and sit and watch Casey Jones. Our, our cartoon hero uh, was, was hosted by a guy named uh, Casey Jones, and he worked in a railroad yard. What a shock. <laughs> right, as a, and as I'm sure you know, there was an original Casey Jones who yes. was a real person. Indeed. Michael, great guest. All the best with Iron Empires, Robert Barron's Railroads, and the Making of Modern America. Thank you so much. It's H-I-L-T-Z-I-K is how you spell Michael's name. And the book is available on Amazon and everywhere else, right? That's, that's right. Thank you, Michael. Great talking to you, sir. All right. Thanks for having me. Have a good day. Bye. We'll be back. Hour two.